Welcome to Ancient Heroes, where we explore the mysteries and myths of the ancient world. I'm your host, Patrick Garvey. You can find the show notes and learn more about ancient history at ancientheroes.net. Okay, so in today's episode... It's going to be a short one. It's just going to be me. I know that the last few episodes have been interviews with historians and scholars and that kind of thing, and I'm going to keep doing that, but I want to mix in the occasional shorter episode where I'm just giving some thoughts of my own, some analysis, uh, that kind of thing. So recently I've read a book by Paul Cartledge, who I had on the podcast earlier, and I read his book called Thermopylae. The Battle That Changed the World. And I also read some of his book, which is similar, called The Spartans, The World of the Warrior Heroes of Ancient Greece. So I became interested in the figure of Leonidas, who famously led the group of 300 Spartan warriors against the Persian army in 480 BC at the Battle of Thermopylae. And a lot of listeners who are more into ancient history and have been studying it for a while or interested in a while may have already known about that battle and about Leonidas. But I'm sure for a lot of people, especially the younger audience, their main reference point may very well be the popular film that came out in 2006 called 300. I think that was probably my first real experience or knowledge about that battle. Spartans! Ready your breakfast and eat hearty. But tonight, we dine in hell! And so, I was really curious to go back and watch that film after reading, for the first time, doing a little bit of a deep dive into Sparta and reading some about it and about that battle in particular. And so today I'm just going to give some of my thoughts on that, and I'm going to try to keep it short. I have basically my overall reaction to the film, uh, some interesting facts that were a little bit different, historically speaking, than in the film, and also just one kind of big takeaway from the film, uh, and something that I feel like is somewhat of a problem to those who are just watching the film in isolation. So let's just dive in. My overall reaction to the film 300 after reading uh, a good amount about Sparta and about the Battle of Thermopylae in the last few weeks. It's a very weird film, is my first reaction. Watching it now as an adult, I'm only 33, but I guess when I first saw it, I was a teenager, and it seemed really cool at the time. And it's still kind of cool, but... It's a very weird movie. There's a lot of scenes that are slow motion constantly. The colors of everything are a little bit off and stylized in kind of a comic book way almost, which makes sense because the film is based off of a graphic novel by a guy whose name I think is Frank Miller. Um, So the film itself is not actually based on history directly. It's based on a graphic novel, which you know, that was based on, on history to a certain extent. So my overall reaction, like I said to the film, is that it's, it's pretty weird. Uh, one thing you immediately notice in watching the film is that 
all of the Spartans are portrayed in this idealistic way. They're all basically ripped men and women who are all attractive and strong and athletic and honorable and all these things. And then you have the Persian army who are basically portrayed as monsters in the film. Uh, they're not just bad guys. They're literal monsters. I mean, they take the helmets off of some of them and they're like goblins and, uh, King Xerxes is basically eight feet tall. There's mutants and monsters and giants. And, uh, it's, it's a little bit strange. I mean, in thinking, there's even one part where they show someone who seems to have the head of a goat. So there, it gets into this sort of fantasy element to the movie, which is clearly an intentional choice, where they're deviating away from real life. And so they're sort of putting that stake out there that this is not pure, purely historical um, or intended to be. But it's still a little bit weird that you have this army of Persians and almost nowhere in the movie are they're just normal Persian looking people uh, fighting. It's kind of bizarre. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, angry reactions to that. I tried to stay away from reading a lot of other analyses and uh, criticisms and, and takeaways from the film. I think you can probably find some in-depth critiques on YouTube and online. I try to not, I try to just basically give my thoughts off the top of my head, but I can definitely imagine there are going to be people that have a big problem with portraying uh, the kind of Persian army and Persian empire as basically a bunch of monsters and mutants and evil beings. Um, now, I think you could, you know, someone might argue that the movie is clearly not, in t it's so over the top and it's so clearly from the Spartans' perspective that that may justify it or something, but it just, it's a little bit strange and I definitely think it verges on uh, just being kind of racist against, you know, a group of people. Now, Again, someone might argue with that interpretation. I don't want to dive too deeply into that, but I could see where that's coming from, definitely. It's, an, it's a strange way to do things. So the, the movie is really biased toward the Spartans. So that's kind of the first thing uh, you have to know. But my overall reaction to the historical accuracy of the film is that if you step aside from these magical and fantasy elements, I was actually surprised to see that it was pretty it held true pretty much to the basic story that we know about Thermopylae and the the 300 and that battle and how that went all of the broad strokes are basically accurate sure there were some things that are simplified or changed or you know uh, a little bit uh, but you know they do a pretty good job actually of portraying the Spartans in kind of the culture, the militaristic culture, the values. They use a lot of the terminology, uh, like with the Agogi, where the Spartan boys had to go and train and become warriors. Um, so a lot of that stuff is actually in the film. And I was surprised to see that. I frankly thought that it was just going to have no resemblance to the actual historical events as we best know them. Um, and just as a reminder we only have a few reasonably reliable sources about some of this stuff. So 
uh, it's, you know, we don't really know exactly what happened. It's kind of exist a little bit in kind of a legendary dimension. Um, I think we have an idea about basically what happened with some confidence, but, uh, but the details, you know, um, it's one of those things where stuff was written down, uh, you know, decades later. So, um, so yeah, so basically I was surprised by the attempt by the film and maybe the person who wrote the graphic novel it's based on to portray the basic historical event pretty accurately. Again, outside of the fact it's very biased in favor of the Spartan perspective and there's these mystical and fantasy elements. Um, so here's some interesting facts that I just thought, you know, uh, um, kind of caught my attention uh, that were different in the film than when I was reading about Sparta. One is that Sparta had a very strange political system. They had what's called a diarchy, which I had almost never heard of. Obviously, we've heard of a monarchy, uh, meaning there's one monarch. But in a diarchy, there are two monarchs. And you would never know this in watching the film because they don't portray it that way. They portray Leonidas as the king of Sparta. And in reality, Sparta at that time and in ancient times had two kings that ruled at the same time, two royal families who both believed they were descended from Heracles. So there's very, my understanding is there's very few cultures or empires or countries ever in history that have been diarchies where they had two ruling kings. Um, and there were some other interesting aspects of the Spartan political system as well with kind of different councils of elders and things like that. And some of that was portrayed uh, in the film. So I definitely want to learn more about the Spartan political system. Um, the second fact was about Leonidas's rise to power. In the film, they, they show that he goes off as a boy, a young boy out in the wilderness. You know, he goes through his military training. He goes out in the wilderness and all of that. And at some point he comes out and he's finished his training, he survived, he defeated the wolf in the snow. You probably remember that scene from the beginning if you've seen the movie. Uh, and then he's pro proclaimed king at a reasonably young age. So in reality, that's not what happened. Um, Leonidas was not uh, born um, in a position where he was going to become king. Uh, I believe his older half-brother died, and some different things happened where he was like third in line, and he eventually took over in Sparta uh, at like the age of um, basically in middle age. And so the ages are a little hazy. I'm getting different age calculations, but something in the realm of 40 to 50 years old before he even became king of Sparta. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And one thing that uh, one thing that's important to note is that the crown prince in Sparta, the crown princes of Sparta, did not have to go through the same military training that the other uh, Spartan male young citizens went through, that we all know it was so brutal, and it really just, you know, formed these incredible warriors. The crown princes were exempt from that. Um, but because Leonidas was not a crown prince growing up, he still went through that training. So he was kind of perfectly suited to be this warrior king of Sparta who could lead the 300. And that's one reason, presumably, why he went and led the 300 at Thermopylae rather than the other king 
who was ruling um, along with him in the diarchy system. So that's that was all kind of interesting to me. Another thing, we all remember the scene where uh, Leonidas kicks the Persian envoys down the well, and they throw all the Persians down the well when the Persians come and ask them that they submit to Persia. So that really did happen that the Spartans threw a bunch of Persian envoys down a well, apparently, when they came to ask uh, for their loyalty. But it happened like 10 years earlier. It happened much earlier, before the war, and the Spartans actually had so much remorse about it. They, be- they were a very, very religious society, which is a- another thing I didn't know relative to a lot of Greeks. They were very religious and superstitious, and they believed that because they had thrown these envoys down a well uh, like a decade or more earlier, they believed that it was giving them bad luck and that the gods were angry at them. So they actually sent two Spartan soldiers, two Xerxes in Persia, in the capital of Persia, to be sacrificed to basically uh, neutralize this curse they believed was happening. And Xerxes actually, he didn't understand At first, I think he didn't understand what the Spartans were even doing. He didn't believe they were sending these warriors to be sacrificed. And then once he realized it was serious, he just refused to do it because he didn't want to uh, do the same, same basically, crime that they had committed to his Persian envoys. He didn't believe in in that, in doing that. So those, those Spartans just returned to Sparta. So that's kind of a strange story. And it a little bit shows that, you know, Xerxes may not have been this monster that he's portrayed to be. Um, Although I don't know a lot about Xerxes, so uh, there's a caveat there. So, uh, and and speaking of Xerxes, in the film, they portray him as though he believes and his followers believe that he is a god. And that's a big part of the conversation that he and Leonidas have, and that's referenced multiple times. And, you know, he's portrayed, again, like he's eight feet tall. He looks like, a, you know, a superhuman type of person. He doesn't look like a human person in the movie, um, like almost an alien. Uh, and in reality, that is also not correct. In reality, Xerxes and the Persian kings were not believed to be gods, even by their own followers, um, and, and they did not believe they were gods. They did believe that they were appointed by the gods, and they were chosen by the gods to rule. Uh, but they did not believe they themselves were gods, nor was that something their followers believed. It may have been the case that because people did the bow uh, to them, uh, that some of the Greeks believed that they must have, the Persians must have thought they were bowing uh, and must, you know, bowing to the Persian kings as gods if that makes sense. So in other words, for the Greeks, bowing was something you did as a religious thing uh, in a religious context like that. So they would not have bowed. And in fact, when the Spartan envoys went to uh, Persia, they refused to bow. Even though they were there to be sacrificed, they refused to bow before Xerxes and before any of the Persians, because that was something that they believed would be blasphemy. So Xerxes did not believe he was a god, and his followers didn't either. So that was different than, uh, than in real life compared to the movie. 
So getting to my big takeaway from this film and kind of a big problem with the film is how much it's skewed only from the perspective of the Spartans. And I think, you know, I can understand portraying the Persians a little bit as villains because they were the ones invading Greece. They were the ones invading and conquering. So I understand the idea of portraying, you know, they were the most powerful empire in the world and they were trying to increase their empire, and they were invading the Greeks and trying to subjugate the Greeks. So I understand the idea that they could be seen as the villains in this scenario, definitely. Uh, However, again, the way they're portrayed as monsters basically is, is a little bit strange, and there's a big thing missing from the overall context. There's a scene in the film where Leonidas has a gotcha moment against the Athenians and some of the other Greeks when he points out that the other Greeks all have other jobs and trades, basically, while they are professional soldiers and warriors. But you bring only this handful of soldiers against Xerxes? I see I was wrong to expect Sparta's commitment to at least match our own. Doesn't it? You, there. What is your profession? I'm a potter. And you, Arcadian, what is your profession? Sculptor, sir. And you? Blacksmith. Spartans! What is your profession? You see, old friend. I brought more soldiers than you did. And so their 300 warriors are more valuable than hun- many more hundreds and thousands of, of Greek uh, amateurs, basically. Now, it's seen as this great moment and this great brag uh, by the Spartans, but the big context that's left out here is that the Spartans, who are all about freedom and all about, you know, uh, you know, creating this free society and all, and all, and rejecting the subjugation of the Persians who had all these slaves and things. The Spartans themselves had a ton of slaves, and uh, they were called the Helots or Helots. I apologize if I'm pronouncing some some of this incorrectly, but I've mostly been reading about it, so I don't know all the pronunciations. But the Spartans themselves had tons of slaves. In fact. Um, According to Paul Cartledge in these books, one of the reasons why they had to basically be professional soldiers was because they had to uh, defend against slave uprisings. So they had to basically have this super militaristic minority ruling a lot of slaves and second-class citizens in the region they controlled and uh, basically to maintain their own grip on power. And there were uprisings from time to time. And they apparently treated the Helots horribly. They killed them. They humiliated them. They just, uh, it, it was a very oppressive relationship. And so there's a lot of hypocrisy here that the Spartans were displaying. And this, of course, was left out of the film. So it's not so, again, it's, it's a situation where Uh, I can't necessarily say there's something inaccurate about the film other than there's a major omission there. Uh, So it's kind of what's not so much what's 
included, but what's excluded that makes a big difference here. So, you know, things are really skewed in favor of the Spartans, like I said, and it's really an idealized version. I mean, you could imagine an idealized version on the Persian side or an idealized version showing the subjected slaves trying to, you know, have an uprising against the evil Spartan, you know, military uh, diarchy that they were that they were uh, doing. So, you know, again, it's one perspective. Uh, it does seem like the Battle of Thermopylae played a big role in the overall Persian invasion and stopping the Persians from completing and succeeding in taking over Greece. And that trajectory could have, had that happened, that could have changed Western civilization and the rise of, you know, a lot of things in our modern culture in the West that, you know, we value. So there's, you know, it could have completely changed the, um, the trajectory of Greece and the golden age of philosophy and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, we don't obviously know how it would have changed, uh, but, but it definitely played a major historical role. So I don't want to downplay that or act like the Battle of Thermopylae wasn't important and that the 300 didn't act with courage and bravery and, and all of that. They obviously did. Uh, the movie did a good job of portraying the Spartan culture and the belief in honor and in achieving a beautiful death. It's actually almost um, scary how ready they were to die and how much they embraced that. Um, it reminds you of uh, kind of modern day events and people that are willing to die for a cause that they believe in. And, you know, in some cases, we're talking about terrorists that are willing to do that. And so they actually, uh, Paul Cartledge draws that um, comparison in his book and discusses that. So it's, you know, it's, it's um, uh, again, it's all in the perspective. It's all in kind of, uh, you know, what you're viewing as um, the values and uh, worldview that you, you know, support. Um, and in this case, I think there are some things to support about what the Spartans were fighting for, and they were fighting not to be uh, conquered by another culture. And they were, fi- they were fighting for their own freedom. They just weren't necessarily fighting for a free world. They still had a very hierarchical culture, and they had their own slaves and subjugated population. So there's a lot of hypocrisy. Uh, but again, you know, we're talking about thousands of years ago. So, you know, um, take that on board. But, uh, but you know, I, don't, I, I think that the movie is... is fun the movie's cool it's clearly kind of comic book-ish there are some interesting historical elements they stayed pretty true to the broad strokes of the story but as long as you keep in mind that uh you know that this is very much kind of a bias it's basically propaganda it's basically pro-spartan propaganda but that doesn't mean that it's all inaccurate or that it's not a good you know entertaining movie or that there's no no takeaways from it. Uh, But it just means you have to kind of recognize that going in. So those are my thoughts. Uh, I don't want to ramble on too long. I appreciate you all for listening to the show. I'm going to have more 
uh, experts and historians and archaeologists and uh, and just history lovers on the show soon. And please, if you have topics that you are interested in hearing about or people that you want me to invite on to, to talk to me on the show, definitely uh, send me a note on my website, ancientheroes.net, or on Instagram or Facebook. And I will, uh, or you can even email me at patrick at ancientheroes.net. And I will definitely try to make that happen. I'm trying to do more regular episodes and kind of build this audience that, that I'm so happy that I have. So, all right, uh, look forward to uh, talking to you all again soon. Thanks. Thanks to Derek Feischer for composing the music used in this episode. If you like the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. Until next time.